back to the Hoop Stuffle Podcast. Y'all know me, Nathan Schwartz. Joining me from New Zealand, Dylan Williamson. How's it going? Good morning, mate. Doing good. Good morning. I wanted to wait till we were recording to tell you this, but your vegan cooking tried to kill me today. <laughs> My vegan cooking? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yes. I'm responsible for all vegan food the world over. That's That's how this works. You have pushed veganism on this podcast. You have infiltrated the u.s vegan market to the point where we're trying to eat a, a couple more vegan meals a day just a couple of meatless meals maybe not even a day just like a week and so i made fried cauliflower wings again i've improved they were nice and crispy this time unfortunately they're not very filling i don't don't know if you remember the good taste of chicken wings and you eat like 10 15 of those you're full and like a whole head of cauliflower and like a ton of buffalo sauce and uh blue cheese dressing to like heat up the the wings then chill them down and then i was like man i had way too much buffalo sauce cauliflower wings and blue cheese dressing and i was feeling it so blame you and your vegan ways that sounds like a great time what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) i mean it was a great time eating them but then i just had like an upset stomach for like the most of the day afterwards so i I don't know if it's um just my lack of meat eating experience an american thing but Eating 15 chicken wings doesn't sound like a like a regular meal. <laughs> to be fair, that may be an American thing. We do eat disproportionate <laughs> amounts of food at meals. So that's that's a problem. But it bodes well for Victor Wimbanyama bulking up and getting, you know, putting some some meat on the bones, him and Shet, which mm. is least loosely tied to what we're planning to discuss today. So that is my attempt at a transition. Mm-hmm. Chip vegetarian? Uh, he is vegan, I believe. Ah, here we go. So he's going to be smashing the cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> is, is um Oklahoma known for its um excellent cauliflower produce? No, they're probably <laughs> more known for cattle raising, being uh, uh, a more middle <laughs> state. Like, can't say that I know that Oklahoma's like got a lot of cattle, but Texas has cattle. I feel like Kansas this has a lot of cattle and with Oklahoma being right around those two. It seems like an old west kind of place. Yeah. Like it, it seems like a place where a cowboy movie would occur. Yeah. Although you know what? Oklahoma and Texas have this like long embittered hatred and rivalry towards each other. So maybe maybe Chet is the future of Oklahoma dietary eating and they're just going to say fuck Texas steaks and Texas cows. We're we're going all vegan in this state. Yeah, it's, it's their it's their way to finally um get back at Texas. I'm like, guess what, motherfuckers, we're not buying any of your meat. We've been inspired by Chet. Yeah, fuck you, Texas. You're the worst state ever. I stand behind that belief. <laughs> but we are here to discuss a power rankings of the Western Conference. That's here, and I I should say I texted you this loose plan. I was thinking power rankings in the sense of most likely to win a championship, not necessarily who's most likely or who's playing the best at this exact moment. But the West is super stacked, and I was thinking we'd go top to bottom, or at least top 10. Uh, I don't think we need to get into the dregs of the Memphis Grizzlies, the Portland Trailblazers, and whatnot, unless we're just you know cruising for time. How are you feeling about that outline? It sounds good. I love how you say you texted me this massive outline when your entire message was, do you want to power rank the Western Conference? <laughs> yeah. See, in my mind, I knew exactly what yeah, I meant by yeah. those few words. <laughs> You're like, you know, I sent, I sent you the intricate breakdown. I'm telling you exactly. 
No, this is the sign of a true, you know, good podcast camaraderie when I can text you those few words and you're like, yeah, Nate means we're going to start at the top. We're going to work our way down. We only care about who's going to win. This isn't some like rinky dink, you know, ah, let's who's going to finish top of the conference. No, we want championships. Championships are bust here. Mm, It's all about championships, man. All right. So we're starting at the top? Starting at the top, who do you believe is the best team in the Western Conference? Um, I'm still going to go with the champs. Um, they are seeming like the sort of the fourth best regular season team. Um, but coming into the season, I think they're right at the top of the power rankings in terms of championship equity, like despite what some of the Phoenix Suns um, does might suggest. To knock off the champs, you've got to beat the champs. They're looking just, you know, about good enough and... In terms of team that we know can win the championship, they've proven it. So I'm going to stick with the champs and we'll go Denver at number one. I'm going to push back and challenge you here because I do love, I love Denver, it. but I'm going to outflank you. and I'm taking the Clippers as my favorites <laughs> to win the Western Conference at this moment. I think that they just have the versatility in the lineups. They've got a lot more depth and a lot more players that I trust. Just looking at Denver's there's lineups, the guys coming off the bench, I'm like, I get to get a good Christian Brown game. Yeah. The amount, how much they're relying on Reggie Jackson. Like Reggie Jackson is this team's, you know, sixth best player. Aaron Holiday is is surprisingly competent right now. Like he's been starting for them intermittently. It makes me really nervous about the Nuggets. And for the Clippers, yes, we have to get over the James Harden potential fading in the playoffs. But I'm just going to read you a list of players and you tell me when them you don't trust in a playoff series. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Ivaka Zubak, uh, Russell Westbrook, Terrence Mann, Norm Powell, Mason Plumley, Daniel Tice in his limited role. If need be, the break glass in case of emergency, you've got PJ Tucker out there. Um, and then you've got Harden, in which like that that seems like a really solid lineup and a, a fair amount of depth and a lot of versatility. I know that people listening to this are going to be like, you can stop right after Kawhi. Like, I don't want Paul George. I don't care about Zubats. I don't care about non Powell, Terrence Mann. Um, but the thing is that I'll add to that is not just who do you trust, but who do you trust in their role? And so even for James Harden and Paul George, who have had terrible playoff series, you know, they've, they've also, I think it's underrated, had really good playoff series. That They've been up and down in, in that role. Same with Russell Westbrook. He's had good playoff series. He's had really bad playoff series. But in, in their role, I think, they're guys that you trust when James Harden is your third scoring option um you know going three for 15 doesn't kill you when he's your first scoring option and he goes three for 15 you've got no chance um so because they have Kawhi and that knocks those guys who have been you know have had series of flat disappointment in Paul George and James Harden and so on it, it, it covers up for a lot of their flaws simplifies their role and also means that if they do if we get a beautiful James Harden one from 27 kind of game, like you've still got Kawhi Leonard as your number one player who has proven on multiple occasions that he's able to be the best player Mm -hmm. in any given series and can lead a team to a championship. You know, the thing that stopped Kawhi most in this recent run, other than running into, who was it in the bubble? Who The the Nuggets. (laughs) Other than running into the Nuggets. It was the Nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the The thing that's obviously stopped Kawhi is health. And, Kawhi Leonard has played over 90% of the Clippers games this season. He's on track to, you know, if you sort of pro rata his games played percentage, he's got he's tracking for 75 games this year. That that will be the most he's ever played. Uh, you've got to go back to 16-17 to when he played 74 games. 
I think, listen, I know the MVP race is not something we've discussed a ton on this. And it's, uh, Jokic has best player in the world kind of status. Um, Shea putting up insanely good numbers on one of the top three or four teams when it's all said and done. You've got Luka, historical insane numbers. I think there is still a chance that Kawhi can sneak into this this discussion if the Clippers can finish as the one seed, which is within the realm of possibility. And what are they at right now? They're the two seed? Uh, three seed, it as we're currently talking. And, but they have a pretty favorable schedule coming down to the end of the year. If they can take that uh, number one seed, he's not going to have the numbers of the other guys, but he also is going to be by far the best defensive player of those guys. So I think that makes up for it. I just... I'm I'm starting to believe. I think they have the right combination of experience and versatility, whereas I just don't trust. Denver's got the perfect five-man unit. I really like their five-man unit, as does probably anybody with eyes that watches basketball, but I just don't trust the rest of their team. Yeah, but, you know, you brought up Reggie Jackson and Aaron Holiday, and, like, they're probably going to have to get a good game out of, like, Christian Braun, Julian Strother, or um, you know, Peyton Watson, like one of those guys is going to have to step up and really like, you know, have a 15, 16, 17, 18 point game um, mm-hmm. at some point, which, you know, I, if, if you're a betting man, would you say that's more likely that one of those guys is going to step up or not? It's, you know, yeah, add up the percentages, it's still not great. But the big thing I think is just Jokic is that he... I think is the best player in the NBA. I think he's the best player in a playoff series because he is so difficult to defend. You can't match him one on one. You also can't double team him. Mm-hmm. I don't love. I don't love the Clippers personnel for dealing with him. Um, it may end up being you know Kawhi Leonard guarding him um, becomes the best option. I feel like it'd be Paul George at least, just yeah, just more length. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's, it's, you know the, the Clippers are at their best when they're closing small. And so it's probably one of those guys. Um, having James Harden brings those lineups back to being a possibility with Norm Powell, who's one of the best three-point shooters in the league, to space the floor for them. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I just can't look past Jokic. And that's why I had him number one. Um, I had the Clippers number two. I have the Nuggets. It's number two as well. I mean, everything I can say negative is you're right. And there's not a great matchup. No one has a great matchup for Jokic. Just looking at the teams that they could potentially play in the second round. Um, I mean, I guess Minnesota has the two bigs, but Mm. Jokic is a huge advantage over the Thunder. He's a huge advantage over the Clippers. The Pelicans, um, Valanchunas, no. He's he's got the big body, but Jokic is going to make him work in so many different ways. Dallas, that's laughable watching any of their guys try to guard Jokic. Phoenix, dear God, they're trying to finish small right now. They're playing Durant at the five. He's going to get eaten alive by Jokic. Sacramento. I mean, Sabonis is just Jokic light, and then the Alex Lynn moments just kind of kill me when I watch them. So, I mean, that's that's the top eight right now. We could talk Lakers and Warriors, but they're not going to match up against the Nuggets. They're it's just just not going to happen. Who who's your number three? I'm going to go with the Suns. Really? It's it's all going to come down to how healthy they are. When they've got their three guys, they're I think easily a top three playoff team, and. Without there being a real runaway, um, you know, a real strong contender, I'm willing to defer to the team that has Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and maybe Bradley Beal. Um, I think they improved their depth at the deadline, bringing in Royce O'Neal, who's a guy that you can, you know, a team like Denver would love to have as just like a six man that you can throw on the floor and not fear <laughs> what he's going to do to your team. 
And so, yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Suns as, as the third option. So I, I watched the Suns play their recent game. Was it Dallas? Uh, yeah, it was Dallas. And Royce O'Neal is out there, and he gets switched on to Kyrie Irving, who promptly blows past him, throws up a floater. Royce, consummate professional, gets back, drops off of, of Kyrie, goes to try to box out Derek Lively, who proceeds to just jump and grab a rebound right over Royce's head because he's all of six <laughs> foot three and three quarters. Like, it, Royce is a nice addition. I like what he brings, but he doesn't give them any more size. Yeah, and like that, that perfectly sums up the Royce O'Neal experience that it's he's too slow to stick with guards and then he's also too small to be a proper four. Like he's six foot four and a power forward. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So I just, I can't get there with, with the Suns. I mean, their lack of having any other big to turn to when, when Nurkic isn't playing well. Drew Eubanks is getting a short leash in a lot of the games I've watched for them. It's a little bit shocky, but I am going to go with the Minnesota Timberwolves as my as my three. I mm. think that they have kind of figured out the defense. They've figured out the rotation. The team makes a lot of boneheaded mistakes. And I think the case against them is I don't fully touch or fully trust Carl Anthony Towns or or Anthony Edwards in clutch situations with the ball. They're, they're still a little bit too either gung-ho, most of the time gung-ho, but sometimes gun-shy. Um, but Conley does just such a nice job stabilizing them. I think they've got the solid starting five with McDaniels out there. And then off the bench, uh, Monte Morris is still working his way into the rotation. But Nikhil Alexander-Walker provides a lot of good pesky defense. And Nas Reed is just, it, it's a solid eight-man and team that can hit you with a couple of different looks and provides a lot of shooting. I'm surprised that you went there. Um, it's, it's notable, I think, that they're the only team... That we're going to talk about in this range that is a below average offense um and even mm-hmm. getting to slightly slightly below average relies a lot on anthony edwards um when he's not out there they cannot put the ball in the hoop whatsoever um off the top of my head i think it's a 109 def- uh, offensive rating when edwards is not on the floor so like you know we're, we're talking near the bottom of the league and so it's going to be a lot of relying on him monte morris i wonder if he might be a little bit of subtraction by addition, where I do think he's a very good player, but I like the Anthony Edwards effectively as point guard lineups when um, he's playing with Nikhil Alexander-Walker as the other um, backcourt player where Ant is effectively the point guard. Um, and so I wonder if Morris is either going to take away from that or he's just not going to be a player that really sees the floor when it comes to playoff time. I think he'll probably be the guy that doesn't see as much time in the playoffs. I do like Anthony Edwards with the ball, but the only problem with those lineups is I don't feel like he is demanding enough of the ball. He doesn't say, give me the ball as much. And then you have Nikhil Alexander-Walker trying to run the point. And while I agree, I like Edwards running the point. I hate Nikhil Alexander-Walker trying to run the point. Those those possessions hurt me because he, I, I mentioned it on Twitter or uh, on TikTok the other day. There are two players that should believe they are the best player on the court. One of them is your superstar, your best guy. The other one should be your sixth man who comes in for the offensive burst when your starters are are resting. Nas Reed, baby. Yeah, that's the problem, though. <laughs> Nikhil thinks he's the best guy, and there will be times where he looks off Anthony Edwards a la Smush Parker and Kobe Bryant, and it's just like, no, no, you do not do that. That is not how we win basketball games. They've been playing really well of late. Uh, in the month of February thus far, they have a net rating of 12.8, um, second best in the league. They're 
they're really just cruising and they have a super easy home stretch. They are going to they are either going to be the one seed or the two seed. Um they've got 17 you know, of their last 27 games at home. I know that's gonna set them up with a, a game against the Warriors, Kings, or Lakers, most likely, but uh that's that's still to have home court advantage does mean something. Yeah. And just to add context to that 12.8 net rating, that's like the kind of level that like the KD Warriors achieved when they were the best team in the league on offense and defense. And so that's like a team that is destroying teams. Um, and perfect example is that the Clippers cannot seem to fucking beat this team. Um, it got absolutely destroyed the last two times that they played um, over the last few weeks. I'll, I'll put this question to you. There's going to be a lot of um, comparisons made between this team and those really good regular season, not so good playoff um, Utah Jazz teams where you've got Mike Conley, mm-hmm. As your, as your consistent point guard, you've got Rudy Gobert as elite from protector, possibly best defensive player in the league. You've got your spot up four that can give you some scoring punch and Kat or Bogdanovich, and you've got your superstar guard. Um, do you think that, one, this team is susceptible to the same weaknesses that those teams were? And do you think that, two, if they are, that maybe those weaknesses were overblown, the inability to defend, you know, sort of like five out type of basketball? I. I don't think they were overblown in the sense with Utah, but getting back to the Royce O'Neal problem, Royce is too small to defend bigger players and too small to, or too slow to defend faster players and too small to rebound over bigger guys. When I watched the, the Wolves play, Gobert is not as scared to step out on guys as he was as in Minnesota or in Utah. And even in Utah, his his numbers defending isolation were fine. It's just the rest of the team around him would get it smoked and then there's no rim protection behind him. In Minnesota, he's more comfortable stepping out and defending on the perimeter because Carl Anthony Towns will at least plant himself at the rim and it'll go straight up. And that that matters. Just having a seven footer back there to belay some shots or to get rebounds. Um particularly on offense, I was noticing that when Gobert sets a screen, Edwards has all day to negotiate around that. And then when he misses, because he was having a terrible three-point shooting game last time I watched them play, Cat is right there at the rim to put pressure. So if your center is out there trying to uh, contest an Edwards bad three-point attempt, Cat's getting offensive rebounds, and lots of teams don't have that much size. So I do think having the the size of Cat and McDaniels, as opposed to the, the size of Bogdanovich and Royce O'Neal, makes a huge difference in this rotation's ability to defend the rim and rebound with Gobert out there. I think all all very excellent points. Um, my only detraction that I'll say ultimately in not having them as top three or top four to spoil the next pick um, is, one, the offense isn't very good, and two, I don't know whether the defense holds up as well in the playoffs, and so I can't have them in that top tier. That's fair. For your four, then... Can I assume it's Oklahoma City, or are you uh, are you getting even less chalk? No, I, I went OKC at four. You know, if we were doing a strict uh, sort of traditional regular season type of power rankings, I think they're clearly the number one. They have the best net rating in the NBA, uh, in the Western Conference rather, um, and they are the only team in the West um, that is top five in cleaning the glass offense and defensive rating. That, that sounds like the kind of team that would push for a championship, but the record for top five, top five teams is surprisingly, let's say, mixed. So 
I went back through the past couple of seasons for teams that were top five in both offense and defense in the regular season and looked at where they finished in the playoffs. Just going back, 22-23, the Celtics were top five in both. They lost in the conference finals. Year before, the Suns and the Grizzlies both lost in the second round. Year before that, the Jazz lost in the second round. Year before that, the Celtics lost in the conference finals and the Clippers lost in the second round. Year before that, the Bucks lost in the conference finals. You've got to go back to the 16-17 Warriors who are the, the you know Kevin Durant Warriors number one on offense and defense to find a team that was top five in the offense and defense and actually won the championship. Really? That's that's surprising. I, I, I would have felt like that would be higher than that. When you looked back at this, were you seeing any trends of it being more defense or more offense, or was it just you need to be really good at one or the other? I didn't necessarily look at that, but off the top of my head, I think it's offense is, is the more important one. That makes sense. And in, in recent years with the trend and towards offensive efficiency, did, did you see the tweet? I think it was a Kirk Goldberry tweet about how the record-breaking Golden State offense, the KD, the, um, the KD Warriors, would be 21st in offensive rating this season? Oh, that is insane. <laughs> it's it's I, not I, I even did, that long I, ago. Yeah, I did notice that when I was looking at the um when I was looking into the Minnesota lineups that like their starting lineup had like a one sixteen offensive rating. I was like, wow, one sixteen, you know? That's that's pretty high. I was like, no, that's that's average. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, yeah. Offense is out of control. Although I, I always push back against people that say offense is out of control because I feel like they're the people that just watch the all-star game and then say the NBA plays no defense. Um with three-point shooting at this volume, yes, points are going to be higher. Yes, an offensive rating is going to have a higher number than when you're not shooting threes. That's just that's, that's just how it is. If you shoot a, a three at the same percentage you shoot a two, it is an extra point. It doesn't necessarily mean that offenses are like so much greater or worse versus nowadays versus the past. It just, it's just the numbers moving. We also have the worst defensive ratings of all time in right now, and that's not because defenses – are so much worse it's because threes are worth more than two so it's i wish we had slightly better metrics to compare across the era but it's that's just yeah it, just on the offensive um explosion shall we call it i do wonder how much of that is just that players are better and they're smarter at what shots they take watching the all-star game like yes it was a joke that like no one was really defending but these guys weren't taking like wide open shots like sure they weren't digging up and getting a stance and playing proper defense but they were you know sticking with a dude they would half close out Damian Lillard had two straight fucking half court shots it's just that players are ridiculously talented mm-hmm. you know watching Damian Lillard shooting in that game it's like okay even if you were playing defense like these shots are the shot making is absurd are ridiculous you hear what Steph Curry said during the game. Uh, he was on a mic'd up segment. And he's like, well, yeah, of course people played defense in the older games. Guys couldn't shoot from more than, than 12 feet. So they had to drive into the defense. And then it looked like there was defense. Like with us, we're pulling from, from range. And it's like, well, all right, that is a slightly more valid point. That's still differences. But I, I see the what you're trying to say here, Curry. That's That's okay. All right, so OKC is your four. OKC is also my four. I just can't get past the fact that Chet is really their only good center. I mean, Bismack Biombo is fine. I really like Bismack Biombo as a player, but that just is not a, a playoff ready rotation with him out there. Um, I, I feel like they're kind of set up for disappointment where maybe they even do finish with the one seed and then their reward with the one seed is they get to play either the Lakers or the Warriors. And that just gets to be, gets 
I don't know. Just I, I can't really picture this team beating. Well, I can. I've seen it a lot. The, the Thunder have have shown <laughs> me what it looks like. They they beat the Lakers every time they play them, and they kind of embarrass them. And they really look forward to those games. Uh, J Dub is is really developing as a player, as a defensive force. Him guarding LeBron has always been a a difficult matchup for LeBron. Maybe not always, but the last couple of years has been a, a difficult matchup. Um, so they're my four. I I still don't have Phoenix yet because I low key don't know that Phoenix makes the playoffs. Ooh, that's interesting. I was, I was wondering when the lag was going to get over to you. Who with that take? <laughs> <laughs> they have a really tough schedule. They're probably dropping down okay. to the seven, if not the eight seed for the play in tournament. And in a single elimination game, I, I can see them not making it. And so that just really harsh is my, my thoughts of them being a top title contender, uh, especially like right now they're playing the Lakers. We're, we're recording this. There's seven minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. Nurkic has 18 points, 18 rebounds. He is dominating the Lakers inside from what the box score is, is saying. Um, we're recording. I'm not actually watching the game, but that's hit or miss. He was pretty absent in that Dallas, this game. He, uh, I, They've just lost this to Houston, and and they have one of the hardest remaining schedules. Like, I don't think they're going to fall all the way down to ninth, but it's not outside of the realm of possibility. And this is all with Beal potentially returning. Beal potentially returning tells me that if he's he may not be at full health, there may be an awkward adjustment trying to get back in. And once he's back in, that's another defensive force that you have to take off the court. You're playing without Royce O'Neal's minutes. You're playing without Josh Kogi's minutes. That's to put him in, and their bowl bowl is at 22 minutes in this game. That's not a recipe for success in my mind. So yeah, Phoenix is is not in my top four of like champion contenders. Interesting. Who is your five? Uh, I went T Wolves at five. Okay. Could I interest you in the Dallas Mavericks at five? I mean, I've got them at six. So go ahead, make the case. The PJ Washington move has looked really strong for them. He has been playing very good defense. I felt a little bit bad for him watching him match up against Durant because his Durant still is hitting insane jumpers over him. But they were able to kind of stagger PJ and then Derek Jones Jr., throw a lot of length against KD. I think they could do the same against Paul George, against Kawhi, against, against LeBron. Um, they didn't use Gafford as much as I expected because they're playing a fair amount of Maxi Kleber at center in that particular game to match up with the Suns going small, but they showed the versatility that they could match up with a smaller lineup. Kleber at the five, PJ at the four, still a good amount of size. Um, and then they can go big. They can put Derek Lively out there and just dominate the glass. They can put Gafford out there. And he, man, if you're only going to play him 10, 15 minutes, he has a lot of energy for those 10, 15 minutes. And I think we're far enough into the season that, fingers crossed, there's not another dramatic Kyrie uh, debacle to happen. So if you've got Kyrie and you've got Luka out there, you've got two. I mean, there's not many teams I think would have two players at that level or better than them. Um, just kind of looking at it, you're going to have two of the best three against Minnesota, two of the best three against Oklahoma, two of the best three against Denver, two of the best three against, against New Orleans. You might have two of the best two against New Orleans. I just, I, I think they've kind of figured out a rotation that works. It might be a short stint of how long this works for them, but that's all they need. They just need a little bit of runway. Yeah, and when we made the, when they made the trade, um, 
you know, I said that I was higher on it from a regular season perspective than from a playoff perspective because I felt like the players that they got didn't address their playoff needs and were flawed playoff players. Mm. But I, from what I've seen is, you know, like you said, PJ Washington, I think, is actually a better defender than um, maybe I was expecting based on his based on his Charlotte days. Um, he actually can guard on the ball with some bigger guys and actually can move his feet. Uh, he's not a defensive, a huge defensive negative. Um, and also like what you said about lineup versatility uh, in terms of being able to go small but still big. I think that a big part of you know these sort of small ball five out lineups is that you do still need guys to do big man things. You do still need someone that mm-hmm. can provide some room protection. You do still need to rebound. You do still need to box out. And that's where a lot of teams that go small don't have a lot of success. Um, and where other teams who have succeeded, like for example, you know the awesome Clippers team that destroyed Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, um, the reason that they were able to succeed so well is because when they went small, they did still have size and could still do those things. And you know, I've always been a big Maxi Kleber fan. His ability to hit shots from the perimeter when they're falling haven't felt at a great rate this year, but still a credible shooter. Um, and then his ability to guard on ball particularly bigger guys, and also provide some room protection, I think is very useful. Of like all these guys that we've mentioned, other than Jokic, Luka Doncic is the guy that I don't want to see on the opposing team because he mm-hmm. is the guy that can go into any series and be the best player. Yeah. Do you remember my off-season hype about Jalen Johnson? Yeah, yeah, great call. Part of that hype was that I thought he was going to have a Paul George-esque defensive leap, not just the offensive leap, and he's had it to some degree. Luca's 70 piece came on him and a lot of it was single coverage. A lot of it was we trust as Johnson to stop him. And Luca made it look so effortless and so easy that post that 70, I've seen a lot of people saying, man, there was no one guarding Luca. No, you had a guy who I believe will make an all defensive team in the next couple of years. There's defending him and, and Luca just cooked. Like it's, it's not that hard to see what Luca is so good at. I also have two things I think you're really going to like for why I like Dallas. One, we discussed a while back about Ben Simmons and how is, and this might even be like a year or two ago. We said like Ben Simmons is great, but it's kind of like having this point guard. You're like, hey, I've got a point guard that can rebound and he's tall and he can block shots. And they're like, but can he do point guard things? And you're like, well, no, he, he can't do point guard things. He doesn't really shoot, but, but he can rebound. And you're like, that, that doesn't make sense. Dallas has guys in their positions who make sense. Kleber defends and can space for a big for a four or five. Uh, Lively and Gafford rim run and protect the paint very well. They all do the things that their positions ask them to do very well, irregardless of if that's like the cool or flashy thing. Shout out to Hardaway Jr., who's um quietly having a really awesome season off the bench. Maybe one of the six man favorites. First team all six man to Hardaway Jr. <laughs> We should do that. That that should be a bit at the end of the year. Um, the other thing that I think you'll like is Kuzma and Spencer Dinwiddie both decided they didn't want to go to Dallas. And if I'm just saying, which NBA players do I trust and want to follow and do what they're doing? And which players do I not trust and don't want to follow and want to do the opposite of what they're doing? If Spencer and Kuzma are are anti this, they're agreed in being anti this after being you know back and forth against each other for a while. This is where they agree. This is their overlap is doubting Dallas. That feels like a good thing to to be pro Dallas then, right? Yeah, no, ex- excellent, excellent take. Um, it, yeah, 
supposedly the reason that they are so anti-Dallas is despite the forthcoming reasons that they've presented is um, the belief that Luca is maybe not long for Dallas. Um, and so this becomes a very important season for Dallas. They need to get a deep playoff run. Um, and when you've got guys who can fill their role, you've got lineup versatility and you've got a guy who can be the best player um, in any series, it does give you good odds. And that's why I had had Dallas as, um, as my six. Yeah, man. All right. Well, then you're not going to let me switch around. Um, who is, who's your seven, I guess? Because Phoenix is still not my, not my six. Oh, wow. I like it. Um, I don't know if you're going to like this one. Um, <laughs> the Golden State Warriors. I do like it. I do like it. They are my six. I was, I was weighing them versus the Kings, but tell me why you like, or maybe not like, because if we're only going to 10, this is, this is the bottom third here, but uh talk to me about the warriors what is it in them that you're seeing is it the new lineup the kamingo wiggins draymond that's got you stoked yeah no (laughs) you know i love um as many big forwards as you can play um in a lineup at one time but yeah like i just think the warriors have have another run in them they've got most importantly um you know they've got championship equity they've figured out some stuff with the young players and now have you know five guys that they can put on a floor that are actually good which they haven't had all season. They played really well quietly of late. They are fourth in the West in net rating since um, February 1st and 6th in January 1st. So they're starting to figure it out. And like they have Steph Curry, who I think is still a top five player in the NBA. They have experience. Um, they have versatility. They have guys who can score and guys who can defend. Um, and you know, coming from a lower seed where they'll maybe catch one of these... Um, you know, these teams, OKC, Timberwolves, who we've said are really good, but but flawed and you know, maybe especially flawed in particular matchups. Um, I do still like the Warriors for, well, I don't, I don't say I like them because I'm rating them seventh most likely to win the championship, but I do still mm-hmm. like them relatively um, to, to make one more run. It's it's kind of funny to say that, that we like them, but, you know, our, our number ones, one and two, were the Nuggets and the Clippers. I feel like if the Warriors were to catch them in the first round, which the Warriors are 10th at this moment, so catching them in the first round, unlikely. But if the Warriors beat the odds, win in the play-in tournament, get to the eighth seed, and they see a Minnesota or they see a see the, the Thunder, I, I know what we've seen all year. I know we've seen all 82 games, but there is something that matters in having that championship equity, that championship experience. And when I kind of look at the records, part of me wants to, to always kind of think about Okay, well, yeah, these are the records. But what were some of the extenuating circumstances? What were some of the other things that went on here? And the Warriors had the Draymond suspension, had a fair amount of upheaval. Now they're back and they're clicking, and the Dre Wiggins Kaminga lineup has a plus 18 net rating. Plus 18 net rating is ungodly, like super bang net. Like that, they will not sustain that plus 18 because you cannot sustain plus 18 like the the two-man actions of curry and draymond at the height uh, of the 73 and 9 team was not plus 18 for a two-man combination a three-man combination at that high is is even more unheard of albeit limited minutes but i i will look at the vegas odds and i will see what they are at and if i can get something like two to one even i will take the warriors over the thunder or the timberwolves in a first round matchup yeah, and just to add um, a little more color to your excellent lineup stats, 
Um, I was looking at two man lineup, two man, two man combinations the other day. Um, the best two man combinations are all basically around the plus thirteen mark. So Murray and Jokic, Kawhi and Paul George, Anthony Edwards and Gobert, they're all right around plus thirteen. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's a really insane bar for them to be at. Um, you know, the other thing that this season has kind of provided for them is it's provided them a lot of chances to use their different depth um, because the team is not great. Like they're they're the tenth seed, they're not great, but. We have seen them be able to play three different big men and all have kind of a different look. Kavon Looney, you know what you're going to get. Solid rebounding in decent defense, but not much offense production. You can put out Dario Saric. He's going to stretch the floor. His pick and pop threes have been a nice offensive weapon. Or Jackson Davis, his rim rolling, it's a little bit JaVale McGee-esque. Like, they have these options. Uh, We've gotten to see them play every guard in the book, um, including Corey Joseph, who's no longer there. But uh, Lester Quintus is is now getting run. Um, a, a lot of these guys could fill niche roles. And so when we start talking, thinking about lineup versatility and who they're going to match up against, you know, you could play four different centers against a Denver team if you see them. And it's, it's not the days of Shaq where you have to throw a bunch of fouls at Shaq, but just having a fresh guy to keep throwing at him over the course of a series is, is going to be useful. Not only having different centers to throw at him, but I think the way that probably the best um, way to match up against Jokic is that one, you need a big guy to defend him one on one, and then two, you also need supplemental rim protection. And a lot, a lot of the way that teams fail so badly in defending him is, you know, your rim protector and your big guy are the same person. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you were talking about earlier that the Timberwolves maybe have some answers because they can put either Cat or Gobert on him and still have a big guy to offer him protection. Um, the Warriors have one of the best rim protecting power forwards in the league um, in Draymond Green, or, you know, one of the best um, post defenders in the league in Draymond Green, and then have their center as that, you know, defending Aaron Gordon in the dunker spot and still bringing help defense. Yeah, it's the classic put the four on Jokic so the five can still do five-man things. At this point, I do feel like I need to put the Phoenix Suns in there just just because when I ask myself, who who can I not imagine winning a championship at this point? I can at least see Phoenix winning a championship. I don't know that I can see e- even like peeking out through like a, a foggy glass a chance of the Pelicans, the Lakers – the Kings walking away with Larry O'Brien this year. It just, it's just not happening. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I guess um, we've talked enough about Phoenix, so maybe we, maybe we talk yeah. about the Pelicans, who I'm guessing are mine and your Knicks team. Okay. Here's the thing. I just don't know what to make of the Pelicans right now because they're. We've always said they'd be dominant if healthy, and they're just never healthy. Well, now they're healthy and they're winning games. And I, I don't fully understand it. And part of it's when I watch them. Yeah. Every time I watch them, it's a, it's a different guy that does it. Like, I will watch them and Zion will play fantastic. Zion, Point Zion has been uh, a lot of fun. It's, it's kind of something that we've always wanted. But him being the primary playmaker, he's been on an insane passing stretch. Let me grab just the last couple of, last couple of games here. He is averaging 7.2 assists over his last six games. Not a ton, but that's mm. it's been correlating with some of the winning streaks here. Um, but then within that, you will see he had a 14.5 rebound for assist night, and they win. He, he shot four for 13 that night. 
and, and they win. It's it's not a consistent guy each night. They do have a ton of versatility. They have probably the deepest roster in the league as far as players that I trust. Because um, basically, I trust everybody in their rotation outside of Najee Marshall, uh, who I just I just don't like it. I just I don't know why. But Najee tries too hard, and it's not in the right ways that I want to see him do it. But I just I, I feel like they have kind of the combination thing that the Thunder have of lack of experience will cause them to falter, along with kind of missing that consistent, stable star that I, I at least entrust the Thunder to have. When I brought up this team, I was going to make the exact same point that they keep doing it and I don't understand how. Like, the, mm-hmm. they've mostly done it through defense. And, you know, I, I was messaging you about it the other day, and they have one player in their starting lineup who's not a below-average defender. You look at CJ, very small as a guard, can't really defend point of attack. You've got Ingram, who, you know, can do some things in isolation, but not a great help defender, cannot get over a screen to save his life. You've got Zion who, you know, struggles with lateral mobility and is actually a really bad defensive rebounder. That's part of defense as well, especially for a forward. And you've got Valentunas, who's a slow-footed big who can't defend the rim. And yet this is a team who's top 10 in defense. They're really interesting in that CJ is that starting guard. Um, and, and when he's hitting threes, I feel like they are near unstoppable. But And he's been really good from three this season. They don't need to play him a ton. They can switch him out. He has been, um, but they, they've kind of curtailed his minutes down. He's playing closer to 30, 32 minutes, which I guess I don't know if that's really curtailing down. I don't have his, his minutes. Yeah, it is down. He's been playing 35 in years past. Um, but you said their starting lineup doesn't have that many good defenders. Their bench is chock full of good defenders. Dyson Daniels those has been great this year. He's missed the last couple, and they just put in Jose Alvarado. Um like, like, if you wanted to go in all defensive lineup for them, you could put Jose at the one, you could put Dyson Daniels at the two, Herb at the three. Trey Murphy is is more of a three and D, maybe a little bit less of the three, but or less of the, the D, more of the three. But, you know, he's solid defensively. And Najee Marshall, don't love him. Good defensively. Uh, Larry Nance Jr., very good defensively. Like, it's, it's only one starter. But five guys deep off the bench of guys who, if they played enough minutes, I believe could be all defensive fringe candidates. Not guys selected, but like you're probably not ever going to select Larry Nance Jr. But like if you played him 30 minutes a night, he he could be a, a guy that gets talked about. Yeah. And, and maybe that's part of the way that they're able to succeed so well is that they do have so many options where if it's one guy having an off night, they've got really high level options that they can go to. You know, you talk about Alvarado, who, you know, is that point guard menace. Dyson Daniels, who's, you know, quietly, you know, sort of Herb Jones light, but with maybe more um, playmaking ability. And then Larry Nance, who's that switchable um, five man who provides some five man things with while being, you know, an athletic guy who can move his feet. On, on the Najee Marshall point, it's interesting um, – that role of guy who thinks he's a lot better than he is. I think he's, mm-hmm. I think he's top five on this team in usage rate. Like when he gets in, like he he thinks he's the guy. Um, but you know he's 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 got that that dog that you need from your eighth man. You know when Jimmy Butler is standing over Zion after a hard foul, 
um, who is the guy that's getting ejected for fighting Jimmy Butler? It's it's Najee Marshall. I think that you do kind of need one of those guys. I think it's Jose Alvarado. He got the three game suspension for this <laughs> this whole shit. You know what? What? Just you know, poor Jose. Why why you gotta do that yeah. to him? Like. I, I, I saw that live and it was hilarious that he not only went at Thomas Bryant, who's a whole foot taller than him, um, but that also when, you know, there were players in between them, his, um, you know, his tactic was climb over the scorer's table, run around everyone to go fight Thomas Bryant. It looked like Rey Mysterio, like, climbing, like jumping from the top rope. We're, we're going to go a little bit of NBA history here. Uh, do mm. you, so initially in, in basketball positions, you had a center, a right forward, a left forward, a, a right guard, and a left guard. Um, hmm. it, it was based off of hockey positions. And so if you look at box scores from the 50s, they'll call them right forward, left forward. And really, there was no difference, no, no differentiation between the forwards. Um, as time went on, you started to have a dominant point guard, and you like had your, your scoring guard, your shooting guard, and your point guard that ran the team. And that guy kind of branched out first. But there's still a lot of thoughts of like the forwards are the same forwards. I'm oversimplifying things. There were teams that had differences. But it's slow, slowly the small forward was really like fast run the break with the guards forwards. And your power forward didn't necessarily have to be a big guy. But in the 70s, your power forward team started employing enforcers to be the power forwards because fights were breaking out so frequently that they would hire team the hire guys to basically be bodyguards for um for the star players and that that's a little bit of where the term originates from is they they were guys that were just were, were kind of goons and just out there in case your star got in a fight they were going to go fight whoever picked the fight with your star so your star doesn't get ejected there was a point guard back in this day who people described as being like a power forward uh his, his calvin murphy he's five foot nine but he was like a golden glove boxing champion in high school. <laughs> and so when fights would break out, he would square up with the six foot eight goons and just like start throwing haymakers at him. <laughs> That's Jose Alvarado. That's excellent. He's, he's the point power board. Just, just here. You, you don't want to mess with the thing room. You don't mess with Zion. Cause you got, you got Jose to deal with. It's, I, I really enjoyed the team. I hope that this trend continues. I would love to see them get like Knicks level recognition because I think we're doing like a cross conference comparison. I feel like they're about the same level as the Knicks, um, which sorry, Knicks, you might end up as the, the three seed or four seed, but you're a, a team that will be battling for the, the Western conference playoffs. Maybe before we move on, um, can you, can you see a deep playoff run for the Pelicans? What does that look like? No, I cannot. Okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, by deep, do you mean any deeper than the first round? Yeah, I, I guess like competitive second round. I I feel like a competitive first round would be an accomplishment for them. Uh, they have a relatively easy last bit of their schedule, which I think is going to make things interesting because they're likely to maintain the five or the six seed. Like a, a lot of the projections I'm looking at, it's going to be the Mavs, Suns, or Kings who do not hold on to to top six seeding um, and are in the play-in matchup. Pelicans are pretty securely going to be the five or six, so they're going to make it, but... They, they probably play Dallas first round. I mean, right now, if it were to happen, projections have them playing Denver. Oh, right. Sorry. It, you know, D- Denver mm-hmm. is... Uh, Hey, if you get if you get that to six, I call that a win for the Pelicans. I call that um, a, a really good franchise 
is move. A lot of their team is still not young. I mean, Ingram's 26, but Zion's 23. Herb's 25. Trey is, is 23. Dyson Daniels is 20. Jordan Hawkins, whom I love, is just 21. Like, you've got a lot of young guys that can continue to develop. I, I think if you can go six games with Denver, that's that's a win. Yeah, and, and maybe they, they, they are going to be the victim of having to go up against a top four seed when the top four are so strong and the top four are so stratified from the five that like they don't have a real chance of getting mm-hmm. into the four to get an easier matchup. Um, they're going to get stuck with one of these juggernaut teams and, you know, maybe maybe a, a strong first round, you're right, is um, the best that they could do. Uh, I actually have Sacramento over them. I just feel like Sacramento has a little bit more experience. They have a good rotation that I like and trust. Um, They've seen the playoffs at this point. You know, are Sabonis and Fox that much better than Zion and Ingram? They are better, but I don't think it's it's a world better. But just the team, I think, having been there, having had that experience, I like their their ability to hold on a little bit better or have a, a slightly more competitive first round. I went with the Lakers over the Kings. We're talking 9 and 10 now, so we're talking, you know... You know, very, very low chance of doing anything really. Um, ultimately, what what I saw in the <laughs> I can't get over the midseason tournament, man. It's it's holding a lot of weight in my mind. LeBron was able to be the best player in the world for like a week, um, and Anthony Davis was able to be good enough um, as a supporting player, and they were able to throw together enough competent NBA play. Ultimately, I just trust LeBron and AD more. Um, in a playoff run than I do Fox and Sabonis, even though I think the Kings are probably the better team. I, I do trust them more in a playoff run. I I think the Lakers really only have seven players that I want to see play. You know, and any eight if uh, Vanderbilt would two. get healthy for once. Okay, okay, two. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but 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 the lack of depth for the Lakers will hurt a lot less in the playoffs than it does in the regular season. I just think with the advantages that Sacramento already has based on their seeding, where they're likely to finish, I feel like their chances are better. I feel like I, I honestly I can see Sacramento still making the second round, even as as the ninth best team in the Western Conference or our power ranks the ninth ninth best team. Um, I just really don't trust Minnesota. I, I see a paper tiger in Minnesota, and, and even Sac or uh, even uh, OKC in some ways. I think if you get at them with experience, there are ways to exploit matchups and beat them yeah i mean ultimately it's just like these teams probably aren't going to do anything if they even make the playoffs um and if they do lebron and ad are, are scary to me i gotta I, if, if you know there's there's a world in yeah. which the clippers are the two seed and the you know lakers get up to like a a, a play-in victory um i don't really want to play against lebron and ad like Lakers aren't a good team, but I don't want to play against those two. You know, Austin Reeves can get hot in a game. D could get hot in a game. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie, powered by being at Crypto.com Arena, could you know maybe do something. It's just not a, not a team I want to have to deal with. Do you want to play? Guess Spencer Dinwiddie's stat line. They just lost to the Suns, one thirteen, one twenty three. That's feeling like a nice um seven point two assist game from Spencer Dinwiddie. You got the assist right. It is a three point two <laughs> assist game. Ah. Yeah, one for five shooting from the floor or for him. Uh, you know, yeah. it's the Lakers desperately needed another guard with size. The fact that we're signing the guy off the off the buyout scrap heap doesn't bode particularly well for us. Um, 
Rui's inconsistent play. It really, really, it's LeBron's inconsistent play. When LeBron plays like he did in the end season tournament, when he's going to go all out, sure, sure, I can see the Lakers first powering through. But if he's not going to be able to turn that on consistently, then I, I don't see a way for the Lakers to get out of the nine ten seed in matchup. And if I am going to be high on Golden State, then I need to be low on the Lakers' chances of of making the play in or making the playoffs because I don't foresee a way for them both to make it barring a catastrophic injury for someone. Like if Durant got hurt and misses the rest of the year a la Trey Young, sure, sure, the Lakers could sneak up into the eight and then win the seven, eight matchup and then Golden State makes it in. But without that happening, I I think the Lakers are going to be, you know, in Cancun come April 15th, not, uh, not, Oklahoma, which is probably a better place for them to be. We we now go from near impossible to win a championship to literally impossible. Do you do you want to rank out these teams? I think I think Blazers are clearly last. They're the worst team in the West. They're maybe the worst team in the league at this point. Um, Grizzlies are you know falling apart, but almost to their benefit. The fact that they've been able to get Vince Williams and Gigi Jackson um, to come out mm-hmm. of nowhere and look like really solid future pieces. You know, what, what they needed coming into the season was Fords. They had, you know, David Roddy and Santi Aldama and no real answer at the at the three and the four. Um, Marcus Smart was supposed to be that, um, to, you know, give them wing depth. And then they fell apart totally and, you know, it looks like maybe found the answer. And then, and then we've got San Antonio where they have been quietly getting up to respectable after being very Frisky. disrespectable. Yeah. No, I mean, they're. I actually would put them above Utah at this point. I mean, if we're just power ranking. <laughs> and, and Utah, who are so forgettable that I forgot to mention them. Yeah, I mean, I think Houston is maybe not quite clearly, but uh, they're surprisingly respectable at home. Um, during, during the All-Star break, I compiled all of everyone's home road records, home games remaining, road games remaining, percentages of those teams, who they were going to play and whatnot. Houston at that point had won 68% of their home games. They are playing as good at home as, I mean, as a lot of teams are playing. Their home record would tell you that they are a better team than Denver is. Not at home, just in general, Denver's overall record. Like Houston, surprisingly good at home, trash on the road. They are the second worst road team behind the Detroit Pistons. But yeah, if, if we're going to rank the bottom five, worse Portland, second worst Memphis, Utah, San Antonio, jumping into clawing towards respectability with uh, Victor Wimbanyama putting up almost back-to-back five-by-five games. That's insane. And then, of course, Houston. If we look at the very small sample of the last two weeks, which works out to about four games, Grizzlies are ninth in the West in net rating, Spurs are 10th in the West in the net rating, then Kings, Rockets, uh, Clippers, <laughs> 13th. Um, the Jazz at 14, and of, of course our beloved Blazers as the 15th ranked team um, in every aspect. So you're saying the last two weeks do not look good for my Clippers number one stock? Does not. I did a um a a just sort of regular season um power ranking formula um which factored in um with different weighting your net rating on the season over the last two months, over the last month, and over the last two weeks, and then weighted those 
um, to to make your knit rating more sticky. Um, yeah, the, the longer the longer periods more Ooh, sticky like than that. the shorter periods, and 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 Clippers are down at six. Um, they're behind the likes of the Pelicans and the Nuggets, and of course OKC and the Timberwolves, um, and the Mavs who snuck up to fourth with their excellent play over the last month. The Mavs have been playing really well of late. I I have a lot of anti Mavs stock. Actually, I don't have as much anti Mavs stock as people th- seem to think I do. When I talk about the maps, <laughs> I'm largely critical of them because I don't particularly like Kyrie's dependability in championships, and I find him to be dramatically overrated by a couple of good finals games. He was not on any other level throughout the course of those playoffs or even the finals. He has some playoff stinkers that year, but he had two good finals games, and people believe he's a playoff god. He, he made arguably the best shot in playoff history, so he gets a lot of shine for that. Yes, it's it's the Robert Ori effect. Although Robert, <laughs> he he's the Robert Ori of um NBA superstars. Yes, yes, different caliber of players, but uh, I, yeah, I, I at least do want to touch on the Spurs because Victor Wembanyama has been so fantastic lately, and I like that they've kind of figured out some of the stuff around him. I believe Devin Vassell will be an All Star in the next two to three years. Um, Sohan has transitioned more back to his power forward role. It is very funny to now watch him be left just completely wide open from three and him slowly raise up the shot. Um, He hit one of them in the game I watched most recently of theirs, uh, the Kings game. Um, And then off the bench, Keldon Johnson, he attacks really well. I actually would kind of like to see him get reinserted into the starting lineup. I feel like if they're going to do this quick pull of Wemby, um, kind of staggering of his minutes, it's not as bad to have all of your good players in to start the game. Um, you know, I, I understand the idea of, hey, we're going to play our starters, then when they're tired, we're going to put in a spark plug scoring sixth man, but they just, they pull Wimby so fast that I don't feel like you you really need to keep him off the bench for those time, that minutes. I think I'd like him going to the bench. Um, and maybe it's not a tactical decision as much as he's their sixth best player, quietly. <laughs> who, is, who is the fifth? Are you that high on Malachi Brandon? Or not Malachi? Who is uh, Champagny? Champagny's the guy getting the start now. Champagny, shout out Champagny. Um, no, but I mean they they do need guards. I think it's, you know it's they they went the entire season without playing a point guard and you know having Sohan or or Vassell or whoever you want to call the point guard there. Um, and then the, you know they were the worst team of all time. They're the worst team in the league. And then they just started playing some more point guards, and all of a sudden they're respectable. Um, so it'd be interesting to see whether they go into next season with you know fuckery and coming out disgustingly bad as again or whether they just play a point guard maybe even go ahead and sign a, a starting caliber point guard um and you know come out and be like a playing team oh they've they've long been linked to the trey young rumors this is nothing new this is nothing original to ask but in the wake of trey young being declared out for the next four weeks uh to be reevaluated which will basically be re- reevaluated the last 10 days of the season. So I think it's maybe it's not safe to say, but feels not too advantageous to say Trey Young will not play another game with the Atlanta Hawks this season. Does Trey Young ever play another game with the Atlanta Hawks? Or is he in a Spurs or someone else uniform come next season? I mean, what are you, what are you trying to achieve if you're Atlanta and you're trading Trey Young? I think you you hold on to him you trade everyone except Trey Young like that's that's your centerpiece if you trade him you know you're you're a, a 
disgusting franchise. <laughs> you know, there's there's nothing to be hopeful about. Um, and so, you know, I don't necessarily like the fit of Trey Young with Wimby. Um, I mean, offensively, it would be outrageous. You know, Wimby needs offensive help. Um, he's already proven to be probably one of the more impactful defenders in the league. And despite all the hype, is actually a, a below-average um, scorer in terms of efficiency. And so he could use the help of Trey Young, who's one of the best pick-and-roll and LU uh, operators. Um, you know, that would be great for Wimby scoring. But, um, yeah, ultimately, I think more so for the Hawks. Like, if you're trading Trey Young, you know, what the hell are you even doing? Um, it's maybe concerning that they didn't trade DeJounte Murray. Maybe that sets up a Trey Young trade um, in the offseason because um, you, you probably want to move one of those guys. But I think ultimately, like, the Hawks can't trade Trey Young. So the pros from trading Trey Young are they can get back to a pick neutral standpoint. Also, the Spurs have enough yes. space or can create enough cap space to maybe take some more salaries back as a negative. So maybe you move Trey and Clint Capella. So that way they have a backup five who can play some with Wemby. And then the Hawks ha- get their own picks back, maybe a future Spurs pick, pick or some other draft capital. And then they've got a lot of room to play with, a lot of room to work with. They can build a, little, a starting five that already has Murray, uh, Boya, or, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Jalen Johnson, and a Yucca Okongwu. Insert fifth player here. Maybe they have to, maybe they're like, give us Keldon Johnson so they get Keldon in that mix. I'm just saying they could be about the same level of team, about the 10 seed without Trey Young, and then have all their picks back moving forward. Be be asset neutral. It's it's not unappealing. That that team sounds like Trailblazers East. <laughs> no, the Trailblazers are much more exciting. They have Shade and Sharp. <laughs> um, also, I love them um, getting Keldon Johnson to add to DeAndre Hunter and Sadiq Bay in their list of um, you know mediocre wings who don't do anything really well. Yeah, maybe that's what I don't like about <laughs> Nachi Marshall. That he just doesn't do anything. He plays with a ton of effort. You you will give him many hustles, but him, Troy Brown Jr., these guys who are like supposed to be three and D wings, who are more like hustle jack shots, make it tough for people. Terrence Mann, as they yeah, as they go on and score or their thirty or forty points. Well, Dylan, any final takes for uh, for this week? Anything you want to shout out? We didn't talk about the All Star game, but that was untalkaboutable. There was a game. Okay. okay. We'll, we'll at least touch on this. Can I pitch you my idea on how to save yeah. All-Star Weekend? Because yeah. I've got an idea as well. Okay. So the dunk competition. Um, I want. I, I think we need to put a rule that you must play a minimum of 20 minutes per game to be in this competition. Because stars don't want to go against scrubs. If you lose to a Mac McClung, it's not a great look. Two, I have two dunks that I want to see done um and they're kind of variations of the same dunk one i want someone to do a 360 dunk with a child on their back with a piggyback person i think this is doable i think children don't weigh too much to stop a pro athlete from doing a 360 dunk and i think if you do this with a child like holding on to you maybe you strap them in maybe you papoose them in that's a 50 and i'm in i don't care what it is the other thing the other dunk is is like a weight vest and you just progressively add on more and more weight to this, this vest. <laughs> so like first round, you're like, I'm doing this with 30 pounds of weight. Second round, I'm doing it with 50 pounds. And so it just, just like each dunk, you're like, you know what? I'm going to keep doing this 
until like it's it's a struggle for people to pick up the weight and you can even like you know bring out one of the judges have him hold the vest like there's showmanship to this these are the dunks i want to see it's a very tough line to walk in terms of is the problem with the dunk contest bad dunks or is it bad players um you know do we want four mac mcclungs doing good dunks who are absolute nobodies or do we want four jalen browns who are stars who are doing mediocre dunks um obviously the answer is probably you want somewhere in between you want good players doing kind of good dunks um and so the 20 minute a game rule probably does help that um and then also like you said maybe encourages the stars who can actually do good dunks to you know enter because if they lose you know they're losing to jalen johnson and not Mac McClung. To your attempt at maiming children mm-hmm. um, on national television, <laughs> I do agree it'd be a 50. Um, there's a high disaster potential. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't know if um, a child is the best thing uh, to do. Maybe you combine that and you um, have a a small adult. Um, you know, it's, it's a combination of the child and your weight vests. We get a small adult piggyback. Um, <laughs> Um, in, in, in the 360. Just get Peter Dinklage out there. Like, get, bring bring Kevin Hart out. Everyone loves Kevin Hart. Bring Kevin Hart out. If Kevin Hart can get fucking yeah. 360. I, I'm just saying, it's it's a good idea. All right. To the um, actual All-Star game, I do like the idea of, uh, of adopting what the Rookie Sophomore Challenge has done and that we're splitting it up. It's smaller teams. It's playing to a target score. I do think the target score needs to be higher than 40 and 25. But if you do like a target score of 60 and it's it's four teams of seven, I, I also think you should expand the all-star roster. But if you do, you know, four teams of eight or whatnot, hey, it's a target score. There's limited things. I, I think that will make for a slightly more competitive game. I like the idea of paying the players more, um, but I want this game to come immediately following the celebrity all-star game, which I want the NBA to invest in celebrities. I want this to be the prime event because at least in American sports fandom, football takes the crown. People, there are more football fans than basketball fans. I'm not one of them, but I know I know where we exist in the ecosystem. And people will watch football all the way up. They'll get to the Super Bowl and that's the pinnacle. That's the height, the championship. And then they turn over to the NBA to see, hey, what's going on in the NBA for the all-star game? It's a terrible it's a terrible thing because it sets this unrealistic expectation going from the heights, the the greatest part of the competition to a, a game that doesn't mean anything, players who don't care about it. it. It's it's a really jarring transition. But if you set the stage where, hey, the All-Star game's fun, but we're also just here to watch celebrities make fools of themselves and miss shots, I think that that does a better job transitioning. It, it, it shows more of the levity. And if they got real celebrities... People who are actually notable world round that could really help grow the game. That could, could help add lightness to the the situation. Do you know who played in the Celebrity All Star Game this year? I could I couldn't name one player. Yeah, no one does. No, no. I mean, <laughs> they had a couple of football players. They had the guy that played Magic Johnson in Winning Time, who I kind of like that pick at least. Of we're gonna have someone out there, but like if you had brand name notable celebrities, the top. Of tier that people care about i one intersperse that with the the all-star game because you're doing those mini games then you've got celebrities there who are trying and goofing off and playing with the stars who are there i think that just sets a better tone and vibe and might encourage the players to play a little bit more because there are some some a-list stars 
Okay. Um, I think the all-star game um, and probably the skills challenge, I think you just scrap those. Um, I think that they are, they provide a vibe of, um, what is, what is, what is the, what am I looking for here? I feel like it, it provides a vibe of like goofiness and lightness that carries over into the game. It's like, you know, we're, mm. we're oh, we're just here, you know, we're just hanging out where, you know, it's, it's, it's a chill time. You know, this is, um, this is fun. This is funny. And then that carries over into the game. I think you want uh, redo the all-star game to make it more, you know, like almost like red carpet. Like this is the place to be. This is serious. This is a big event. This matters. Um, and, and hopefully that carries over into the game. Um, I do think that an underrated part of why this game was so bad is, you know, we've had good, um, all-star games in recent history um, I think the first one with the Elam ending which was a couple of years ago was like a really awesome game um, and I think that the reason that that was mm-hmm. able to be a good game and this one was not is that in that really awesome game they sort of traded buckets back and forward you know one team would go on a little run the other team would bring it back so that the game was close when you got into the fourth quarter and teams started playing I think that the big problem actually was just that the East um ran away with it early and the West weren't able to bring it back and like, okay, well, it's a blowout already. So, you know, we're never going to start playing properly. Um, and so I do like your idea, I think, of um, having the shorter games, um, having multiple games um, that, you mm-hmm. know, uh, rookie sophomore kind of format. And maybe it's back to like, you know, you've, you've got four captains and you draft your team so that like these are the guys that you want. Um, and maybe that means something. I've considered also the idea of like, okay, some guys just don't want to play All-Stars and they're just not going to get up for it. Well, fine, that's cool. If you don't want to be an All-Star, you're not. In order to be eligible to be voted, you have to opt in. And so if, you know, Anthony Edwards, like, doesn't care about being an All-Star, fine, he can opt out and he can go on holiday. If LeBron James is 40 years old and he's, like, had enough of All-Star games, he can opt out and, you know, go, go to Cancun or whatever it is. And so... I have thought about that idea. But ultimately, I, like you, decided that that would probably lead to, like, the Zach Levine All-Stars, <laughs> where all, you know, you go like Kawhi, yeah. Paul George, LeBron, Anthony Davis, um, you know, all the top guys are just like, I've, I've done this 10 times, man. I don't really care anymore. But, yeah, like, some 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 way of um getting getting the guys who care and guys who don't care about it, like, you know, well, don't come then. Can I offer you another idea? Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be two ideas in one. One, I want to move the All Star Game away from this this point that's right after Super Bowl. I really do think that that just sets it up for failure. If you move it to earlier in the year, maybe you vote on guys who should have been All Star last year, or like it's it's not just this year, but it's like hey, taking in the totality of everything we saw last year, who will be the All Stars? Maybe it's even like the start of the year where you say, hey, all right. You, at the end of the year, you name the All-Stars and they kick off the next season with an All-Star game. Something like that, where it's just a slightly different time period. It's recognizing a larger pool. And then two, an idea for the prize. Instead of it being a, a larger player or a larger dollar sum, it's more nationally televised games. If your team wins, you get five more games on national TV. Like you have a bunch of games set up as flex games. And if the West wins, the West gets nationally televised games. The East, fuck them. No more nationally televised games for a month. (laughs) 
you you run into the fact that the NBA will refuse to improve the product if there's a chance of them losing streaming um, or you know media revenue. Why won't they even consider a shorter season, even though that would improve improve the product? The games would be better, the ratings would be better. You may not even lose money, because there's a chance that it could lose money. And so you run into that. You you know if if we're um you know we've got the freaking Rockets versus Kings. Um, playing on the same day as the you know Sixers and Celtics, and that's a nationally televised game. That's gonna <laughs> hurt the NBA's pockets, which they will refuse to do. Um, but yeah, like I, I I get what you're getting at, where like there needs to be some sort of incentive for these guys to actually care. I, maybe it's just because I'm reading Oscar's book, and Oscar's talking um, in '62. Uh, the NBA lost me- the national media the deal. They weren't televised for like half of 1962. In 1963, they're able to sign a new TV deal with ABC. And the deal is initially to kind of just cover a couple of weekly games and the All-Star game. And so like being an All-Star was a huge deal. And going all out for that All-Star or um, All-Star game was was so important to these players because that's like maybe one of three times that anyone ever sees them. Like a lot of these teams don't have like a local media deal like like it's it's really the only chance you're ever going to be on tv so that was my idea behind like all right hey brandon ingram you don't like that no one talks about you bust your ass get in the all-star game win the all-star game and then the pelicans are going to be on national tv more like just just a thought to a, a way to incentivize that isn't you know hey let's pay them all a million dollars or something like that which I, i'm not opposed to um but I think having that national recognition, having that media attention, especially for some of the smaller market guys, could be could be really beneficial and could be something worth playing for. I think my um, final solution, or my favorite solution, it is actually your idea of um, you know the the four teams or whatever. Maybe you're only playing like you know three or four minute quarters, so the games are shorter, so you actually have to go all out in them as well. Um, I do think that shortening the amount of playing time gets rid of a lot of the time where you know, you're just sort of trading buckets and not trying at all. Um, and that period, like I said, has the potential to ruin that fourth quarter where teams actually, where the guys actually do try and where the game actually gets interesting. And we've had like really awesome moments um, because you can get the situation like this year where in that time where they weren't trying, one team just hit more of their shots and now there's no competitive time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the NBA actually does. I feel like we are going to have some sort of move by next year that they're going to try something different silver has been pretty adamant about needing needing this game to be competitive so i guess we'll see what the nba does well dylan where can the people find you every week on the hoops temple podcast now and forever they can also find you on tiktok president of basketball conversations you've yet to produce a single video but i will get you to produce these videos yeah you will, you will get out there. I've been thinking about People, it. People, go follow them. Uh, <laughs> All right. If I get to a million followers by next month, I will post a video. A million? Give, give me a more attainable. <laughs> Wait, next month is like also in four days. No. No. <laughs> Carry on, Nate. Where can the people find you? All right. You can follow me, Nate underscore Hoops Temple at TikTok. You can join our Discord link in uh, link in the TikTok bio. We're doing an MBA book club. Also, email us hoopstemple at gmail.com. Love to hear from you guys. Talk to you later.